They say banks are boring, credit unions are dull. We don't agree, we love them all. Except for the big banks and neos who take a market share, make consumers blue. Need a fresh perspective, new direction. Take back banking and make some connections. If you feel stuck, it's not your fault. Here's an idea, try thinking outside the vault. Have you ever seen an avocado slicer? It looks a bit like a pear-shaped tennis racket with blades running up and down, not crisscross. If you've ever seen a late-night infomercial, then you know there's an entire industry around these single-use utensils, and I am fascinated by it. Hi, my name is Zach Garber, and you're listening to Thinking Outside the Vault, a podcast for community financial institutions who understand that knowing someone's name more important than knowing their account number. I think it would be easy to look at the world today and see a lot of these single-use solutions. Businesses are looking for ways to solve pandemic-related problems, which is super important. And it could lead to some short-term decision-making. I think it would be easy to comfort each other by saying, well, we'll be ready for the next pandemic, without realizing that the next crisis probably won't be a pandemic. It'll be something else we can't predict. The author and professor, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, calls these unprecedented events black swans. But before we get into that, let me finish what I was saying about avocado slicers. As someone who's been happily slicing up avocados with a knife for my entire adult life, I can't help but wonder why someone would ever pony up for an item like this. It is bound to end up stuck in the back of the miscellaneous utensil drawer, right next to the mango slicer and novelty bottle opener in the shape of a parrot. When it comes to business operations, you can face a similar temptation. Is it worth getting a new tool just to solve a rare but inconvenient issue? Which tools can be used to solve lots of challenges and build new capacity? And which ones just end up gathering dust, even if it's just virtual dust on your hard drive? And what sorts of tools can help you maintain operational excellence, even when the unexpected happens? Here to talk with us about her own experience grappling with these questions as she steers a company through the coronavirus pandemic is Casasa's Chief Operations Officer, Vanessa Vanity. She has an incredible wealth of knowledge. Not only is she responsible for Casasa running smoothly, but she also supports more than 900 community banks and credit unions who trust Casasa as a partner. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Vanessa Vanamid, it is so great to have you on the podcast. Uh, welcome to this episode of Thinking Outside the Vault. Uh, we're going to be talking about operational excellence during a global pandemic, something I think you have a lot of great perspective on. Um, I would love it if we could just start out with you giving our listeners uh, an intro, you know, introducing yourself and telling them a little bit about what you do at Casasa. Well, first, I just want to say thank you so much, Zach, for having me on the podcast today. I'm excited to share my experience as CEO of Casasa. And, you know, a lot like many other COOs, my responsibilities are to organize and cascade the company's strategic objectives across the organization and run all aspects of our day-to-day operations and other duties as assigned. So, you know, in a year <laughs> 2020, it means leading us through a global pandemic as well. Right. Uh, on that note, uh, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about the moment when you realized that 
this COVID-19 thing was a serious problem and Kasasa needed to take action. Yeah, you know, I think I think we were pretty lucky in that, you know, I, I, I feel like part of my responsibility is to kind of keep track of current events and what's going on in the world. And sometimes that means monitoring hurricanes and, you know, the weather here in Austin and flooding. And sometimes that means looking for global pandemics. And so, you know, we started hearing chatter in, in mid-February and I started keeping an eye on it then. And by late February, I had assembled a team and had presented a plan to my CEO and my executive team to kind of, you know, say, hey, this is something we need to track and we need to get a plan together. And, you know, we were lucky enough to form a COVID response team that last week in February. And that response team still exists to this day. And we meet three times a week, um, includes myself, our Chief Information Security Officer, our General Counsel, our VP of HR, and our Chief Marketing Officer. And so together, we're assessing and monitoring COVID developments. And, you know, part of our initial responsibility was to create a plan. You know, we dusted off our business continuity plan. And, you know, I think that some that's a document that most organizations have, but hope that they never have to use. And so it's also, you know, hand in hand with our disaster recovery plan. And we were fortunate to have an amazing chief information security officer, our CISO, Hung Lee. And he had just actually updated it um, a few months prior. So, you know, we were able to kind of look at that and say, okay, what what pieces of this, what components of this really need to be applicable to the pandemic? What can we take and work through this? And so, you know, I want to say we were one of the early ones, one of the fortunate few that started tracking and planning in late February, early March. And I really think that that's been key to our success to manage us through the last six months. I mean, it sounds like it. I um, I was looking back in, at an old news magazine that, that I read, and there was an issue from, I don't know, maybe the second week of January, and there was a little blurb about uh, somebody in China dying from an unusual form of pneumonia or something like that. And that turned out to be kind of the first stone of the avalanche that is coronavirus. Uh, so I'm super impressed that you were already on top of this and, and making moves by, by February, because I think the rest of the world was just didn't even really see it coming. Or if they did, they didn't think it was going to get as far as it did, as fast as it did. You know, look, looking back, we didn't do everything right. You know, there's some irony there that we did call an all hands town hall meeting the first week of March to tell everybody what our plan was for the pandemic. So, you know, maybe it wasn't the best idea to put everybody in a room, but we didn't know then, you know, what we know now about social distancing and how important that that would, that would ultimately become. But I think mm -hmm. this whole thing, we've, we've tried to maintain our humor. We've tried to be really agile and recognize we're not going to always get it right, but we, need to be constantly evolving. But we were really, I think, foundationally held together by three guiding principles. One was to keep our employees safe. The second was to continue to serve our clients with the highest standards of service and experience that they've come to expect from us. And third, to do our part to slow community spread of the virus by being aware and informed and proactive and agile. And so for us, it wasn't just enough to keep our employees safe, but we really wanted to honor our mission to serve communities, to serve community financial institutions, and to make sure that we were doing everything we could to, you know, 
make it a, a great place for us to continue to work as we shifted things to remote and also to continue to provide that world-class service to our clients. That's incredible. And I just want to say that it, for me, it's been such an honor to work at a company that takes those things seriously. And it's obviously not lip service, you know, mobilizing the entire company to go remote in, in a very short period of time. Like you can just look at that as, oh, well, that's doing the, the business expedient thing. But it's so much more than that, as you just said, those three principles. So... You know, I, to me, that is, is a huge reason that I love working at Casasa is, is seeing those the, the mission and the values uh, on display every day, even in, in what seem to be very, very difficult decisions. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. What, what are some of the shifts that you saw community financial institutions making during this time? You know, what I, what I heard over and over again is that, you know, many institutions just did not have some of the, the structure in place, you know, to, um, to initially handle the shut, sudden, what happened to be very sudden shutdown of our normal day to day. And so, you know, a lot of institutions, especially smaller community financial institutions, the people in charge are wearing so many hats and, you know, you, you might be the branch manager, but you also might be, you know, one day working the the front lines and you another day might be working the drive through window. And so just yeah. being able to have the time to think through, okay, how do we shift and do we close our branches? Do we, you know, do we close the lobby, but keep the drive through open and, you know, how do we maintain social distancing in the lobby for the people that are working day to day. And so what we heard as we interacted with our clients was that they were just really overwhelmed and, you know, they had a hard time taking calls for sales and support tasks. And they just kind of had to figure out how to reprioritize their days and how to rework their operations. And I think that they really did a fantastic job of adapting and trying to figure out, okay, business is clearly not normal and we don't know how long this new normal is going to last. So how do we, how do we try to get through this intact with our sanity and for them also continuing to provide amazing service to their customers as well. And I think overall, I think, you know, the industry has adapted so well, our clients have adapted so well, and I'm just super proud of everyone. That's awesome. I I wonder how much that kind of ties into the, like the the fabric of what a community bank or credit union is, which is providing this sense of like security and trust to their communities. I mean, obviously they, they, they weren't necessarily planning to do it in the way that they have to now, right. Sort of <laughs> running things remotely or, you know, reduced, you know, hours and all of that. Um, you know, I think, and I think it's telling too, like we've been encouraging people from a marketing perspective to, uh, send out reassurance messaging, just telling people, Hey, we're here. We're ready to help. Um, we know it doesn't look normal, but you know, we'll help you get through it. And and it's clear that that is, is providing a real advantage in the marketplace that, that, that if that's the attitude that you can take, um, and, and project out to you know, the people that you're serving. 
You know, it's a fantastic point, Zach. I've actually also heard stories from our our institutions where they've proactively called their account holders to check on them. You know, it's in addition to the emails, the marketing campaigns and those kinds of things as well. They're also having that personal touch that you just don't get at mega banks. You know, mega banks are not worried about the individual account holder, the individual consumer. They're worried about, okay, are we going to maintain our bottom line through this? Absolutely. Our community FIs, they are really just focused on how do we all get through this together? And, you know, and and by doing that, you know, it's not, it's not the intention of doing it, but it's the byproduct of it is they're setting these foundations for lifelong customers, lifelong relationships. And I really think that that's going to be something that years from now, we're going to look back on and say, this was the shift when consumers, when customers realized that who they bank with matters. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think, you know, for some of these institutions, they've been around for a hundred years or more. And it's clear that what we're talking about there about that, like position of of trust and and help is is really a benefit to them. Uh, I'm curious if there are any ways that that legacy culture, you know, more than a century of of doing this business uh, might actually prove to be an obstacle to dealing with uh, the current environment. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. I think I think people can come at this from two different places. One is, you know, you're you're in a run for survival. You're scrapping for just keeping your head above water, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's hopefully a you know a group of institutions, a group of us that are able to kind of re use this as an opportunity to relook at our business, to reevaluate, you know, where our revenues coming from and are there additional opportunities to shift our market or to you know create a different revenue stream are there opportunities for us to become more lean you know of course you're going to look at your expenses in a moment like this and figure out you know are there non-value added expenses in in your business but it's also an opportunity to look at it and say okay do our strategic initiatives really line up to accomplish what we need to be in three to five years. And I think it provides this incredible focus and this incredible clarity to what really matters. And so I think Mm. the best among us can use this and, and shift if needed and, and hopefully create that, that just really sustained look at the business and, and help figure out, you know, what's, what's the right thing to do with our business model now and in the future. And so that it's not just reactive, but you can use this as an opportunity to slow down and, and look at all the things that you're doing. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here uh, for Casasa, we made a pretty quick shift on some of our online experience tools that we offer like uh, online account opening and, and kind of website stuff, uh, really trying to help our clients put up the best experience that they could in in a short amount of time. Can you talk about that, that process of of making that shift? Yeah. You know, SBA was a great example of, you know, the, the small business loans that came out and we were able to adapt in the market and provide a business solution for that. So that, you know, local businesses that were looking for PPE loans, um, 
I think it's PPP, triple P, whatever. <laughs> it's okay. A lot of acronyms flying around these days. So for Casasa, we were able to shift and, you know, and start out of nowhere, providing a service that allowed businesses to come and apply for PPP loans with their community financial institutions. It's not something we ever thought about going into this year. And it's something that we adapted to and, and several institutions really needed that. And because of that, because we were able to provide that, that new product, if you will, to them in such a short period of time, they were able to meet the need in their market. And because of that, a lot of businesses were able to stay afloat provide, you know, ongoing income to their employees. And I think that's just one of the examples that we, you know, that I can, I can use, but we also did a lot of different things with marketing programs as well to try to shift, you know, and, and figure out who we need to be targeting now and what, what we need to be saying in our messaging to make it relevant. Is there anything else that you were encouraging your team to do differently to support existing clients? You know, I think just recognizing that for us, every client of ours is unique. Every market's unique. And some of our institutions and communities were hit harder than others. And for us, it was just encouraging our frontline folks to be there in the moment and not just, you know, we always try to be go the extra mile and provide that that relationship because we don't want to just be a vendor. We want to truly be your partner, but it's also in those moments, taking those, the time to ask them how they're doing, how their family's doing, how their schools, how their community is doing. And, you know, and so it's our big shift was recognizing that people are going through a lot and, mm. you know, and that old adage that we all maybe kind of grew up with, where you just leave your personal life at the door is no longer. Possible. <laughs> and so you, it's just, you're, you're just squarely confronted with the reality that there are blurred lines everywhere now. And so oh, man, yeah. uh, as someone with toddlers, uh, this, this is hits so close to home. <laughs> having that compassion and grace, I think is really important having that empathy in, in those moments, right? So we might be on the phone or a video conference with a client and we might be the ones that end up with a streaking toddler in the background of our video cam or, mm -hmm. or they may have a toddler on the other end having a meltdown because that video, you know, that the on school on screen virtual learning isn't going as well as it needs to. And so <laughs> What are you talking about? And that's going perfectly. I am not pretending to be an IT person half of my day to right. help my daughter connect to her school. Yeah. Oh, I think that's really great. I mean, that's, uh, do you think that, do you think that people will see that as a temporary shift that the kind of grace and empathy, or do you think that uh, I don't know. Do you think that people will sort of make that leap and that we can continue doing business that way in the future? Well, I can't speak for everybody, but my, my personal hope is that we would be able to carry forward the lessons we've learned about, about humanity really, and how important it is to recognize that we're all in this together forward. 
And so, you know, even for me, I've worked with several of my direct reports, several members of my team for years and years, and I've learned more about them as, as individual people in the last six months than I've had working with them for, you know, a decade in some cases. And so I, you know, I, I just, I also understand, you know, from a community financial institution is not always going to be possible to have your team working remotely in, in, in their homes. But I also just think that as everybody hopefully shifts back to, um, you know, a little bit more of normalcy that they take those lessons learned with them and recognize that I think the biggest lesson of 2020 is just be flexible, let it, let go some of the stress and, and roll with it because it seems to change every day, every week we get new information about what to do or what not to do. And Mm -hmm. I think that can add a lot of stress to people's lives. And, and then you carry that stress with you into business and that can sometimes prevent us from making strategic decisions or being able to evaluate them clearly with, you know, an open mind. And so I'm hopeful that that, that flexibility, that grace would, would transcend time and space and, and something that would be carried <laughs> forward with us in the future. Uh, I hope so. I mean, you, you make a great point, I, even though we are more isolated from each other than we would be working in an office, a lot of our interactions are way more intimate than they would ever be in the office, you know, to, to see someone in their own home, to see their family, their pets, you know, accidentally sometimes, uh, and, and to have that. And, and, and we're all kind of on an equal playing field there. I mean, that's been my experience of it, having worked remotely for a while before the pandemic, and, you know, working really hard to maintain a, a high level of engagement and presence. And then when everybody went remote, there was, and, and there's no malice in this, but there was just a shift. There was just an understanding that everyone came into about w- what it was going to require to make it work. You know, so that's, that's been a really interesting thing to watch. We're going to take a quick break to talk about a product that we've been working on and we're pretty excited about. Open enrollment has just started. And while that may not be something you typically think of as an opportunity for account growth, with the right partner, it could be your next big windfall. With Casasa Care, our referral program, you can offer your account holders a range of products and services that consumers are looking for, including health insurance, vision insurance, Medicare, prescription savings, and more. Using Casasa's propensity models and marketing automation platform, you can ensure that the right offers get sent to the right people at the right time, all without lifting a finger. So, if you'd like to build a stable stream of non-interest income and create deeper, longer-lasting relationships with account holders, request a demo of Casasa Care today. We'll put a link in the show notes. talk a little bit, you know, get into a little bit more of the weeds of the kind of business operations thing, uh, component of this. So in in a recent financial brand piece, uh, 60% of financial institutions said that improving back office efficiencies was important to their digital banking transformation, but only 24% have achieved this. What do you think's going on there? Like why, 
so many people, why do so many people think it's important? And then why are so many people having such a hard time getting there? You know, I think it's a great question. And I, you know, I think it, I think it's important because who doesn't say like, Hey, I want to improve our business. Right. You don't, Mm -hmm. you don't set up as a, as an executive or as a business leader to say, I'm going to continue to do things the way we always have done them. And, you know, and, and growth isn't important to your business, whether that's from margin growth or revenue growth or expense reduction, right. You're always going to have that focus on continual improvement. But I think that the reason it's so challenging is it's kind of like doing construction on a 737 while it's in flight. And so you don't, you don't get to just press pause and say, time out. World. <laughs> let's, let's go work on operational efficiencies. <laughs> you, kind of, you know, you kind of have to figure out how to do it while you're still continuing to provide service while you're still, you know, processing loans and while you're, you know, doing your daily transactions and you're still, you know, running your business. And I think it's, it's hard to do that. And you have to be so purposeful and so intentional. And so I always advise leaders to really try to think about Pareto principle style, right? It's the, the old adage. So Pareto principle is 80% of the world's wealth comes from 20% of the world's population. Mm-hmm. And if you apply that to the business world, you can say that 80% of, you know, the work that you're doing is a result of 20% of, you know, the things that really, that really matter. So can you focus on the 20%? Can you figure out, okay, if I had to rank all of the activities, all of the things that are coming in and out and, and preventing or and us from accomplishing our goals or just the daily tasks, well, which of those things really matter the most? And, you know, can you focus your energies on making those really, really well and, and doing, doing a great job with those. Conversely, if you were to say, okay, I have all of these gaps and all these things that I want to do and all these improvements I want to make, you can get really overwhelmed with all the possibilities of, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like when you go to clean your room, right? As a kid, (laughs) (laughs) or, you know, those of you that have kids that clean their rooms and they just, they walk into this dirty room and they're like, Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? How do I clean this? this, That is exactly what my, my nine-year-old does. Right. So they just don't do anything because they're just like, I don't know where to start. And so, you know, you you just kind of have to say, okay, well, if I did what, thing if what one thing if I did would nothing else matter or what one thing if I did would would it make everything else easier so I always say instead of trying to make a list of the 10 things that are wrong in your business make a list of the three things that if you were to fix or improve that make a difference that really could help that mm. right principle and say you know that's excellent the 20 percent here but it's going to have an impact of the 80 percent it's going to make things so much more it's you know functions so much easier that's a that's a really really excellent point i was uh recently listening to a podcast where the uh there was a doctor of neuroscience who was talking about the importance of sleep and brain function and i that's not like an earth-shattering principle i think most people understand that sleep is important but the way that she framed it i, I came away thinking okay if i put like any energy or, or money that I put into creating a better sleep experience for myself is going to 
improve the rest of my quality of life? Hmm. What are some choices that I would make differently, mm-hmm. uh, based on that concept? Um, you might, and, and, you might buy the mattress instead of the TV. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I actually, yes, that is, that is exactly what, uh, I mean, came to my mind. I was like, maybe it's time for a new mattress. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, it can be hard to see those kinds of things, especially because you, it's not, I mean, you use your mattress every day, but you're not thinking about it so much every day because it's just there. I imagine that there are things in your business that you use every day that are, and, and that could be, you know, ripe for improvement or optimization, but you're almost blind to them because of the role that they play. Well, it's kind of like banner blindness, right? You, you end up not seeing it because it's there every day. So you just ignore it. It's like when you go on your commute, you're not actually paying attention to your drive. Most of the time you, you have it memorized. You just get in your car and you just go and Mm -hmm. you over time don't even maybe notice that they just built a new Chick-fil-A or McDonald's because you've just been in your automated, you know, path this whole time. But it's really, you know, I always say that you need to kind of oscillate between being inside the forest and looking above the forest from a different vantage point. But you have to go back and forth. What I would what I would advise leaders is to really try to oscillate between being in the weeds too much and and having a forest level view. So you can't be ignorant about your business operations. You need to know what's going on on the front lines. And you do that by having skip level meetings and 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 reviews and just conversations and just being present, you know, and sometimes not line inspections per se, but just, you know, knowing and being aware of what's going on and how things are going and asking questions, you know, uh, what are, what are the obstacles? What are the concerns and challenges? You know, if you were the leader, what would, what were some things you would be focused on and having regular conversations like that, you know, having reports that tell you what your key performance indicators are. So you can kind of measure and understand where your bottlenecks, where, where are the struggles in your processes? But you also need to have a strategic vision of where you want to go. And you need to be able to spend a lot of creative thinking time evaluating, you know, what is your three to five year roadmap? And if we were to, you know, reverse engineer that, what does that mean I need to accomplish in the next year, over the next quarter, inside this month? And, you know, and and know what you want to do and what your path needs to be and have it be informed from, you know, occasionally dipping down inside that force and, and being aware of what those trees look like and what, you know, how the forest looks like from that level, the ground level, but then being able to kind of go back and forth between both views and vantage points, I think really creates a holistic view of the entire ecosystem that as a leader, we need to have, especially as a COO, you know, you can't really be focused on any one silo in your business if your entire business is going to function successfully as a unit, because otherwise you might spend too much time in one area or the other. And you may not understand how those different functions, those different teams need to work in harmony together because maybe you're only looking inside your silos at you know specific moments in time. So sure. And I think that's a, a great point. Um, and, and kind of tangential to that, but, but not quite. Um, because you were talking about 
communicating with you know managers and skip level and, and having insight to what the front line is dealing with um, that's going to look different now than it ever has before because you can't walk the branch you can't show up and and observe it's just not going to work that way anymore so uh, i'd be curious what are some technologies that have been really helpful to you that have allowed you to maintain that level of visibility into your team it's, a, it's also a fantastic question. You know, we have so many different technologies that we utilize to maintain open communications with our with our what we call our failings, our an employee base, and everything from Slack, which allows us to do you know instant messaging internally, and also has a video functionality so that we can have FaceTime with each other. But we also, you know, utilize Salesforce for CRM, and that has its own chatter and communications component to it. Um, nice. And you know, and so we can centralize communications around our clients, and then you know, we pretty much use Slack for internal communications. You know, but I think um, clearly communicating and and having those check in points often. So a lot of our managers have added daily or biweekly check in meetings with their mm-hmm. direct reports. And so if you're a manager of managers, you know they have a, a daily huddle and check in with their management team. But if they're a manager of individual contributors, they're getting their individual contributors together. And it doesn't need to be a 30 minute meeting. It can just be a five to 10 minute check in. What are the things that you're going to need to focus on today? What are the hits that you had from yesterday that you want to share with the group for shared learning? Or what are the misses? What are the obstacles? What are the things that maybe you can put forward into the group and other people might be able to help you solve or just you know, have a general awareness of this thing happened and we're working on it. But I just find, you know, having those, those open comms are really important. And then we've also implemented a tool to kind of rarely check in on employee satisfaction and emotional well-being. It's a tool that we use called Lattice, a L-A-T-T-I-C-E. We'll put a link in the show notes too, for anybody who wants to check these out. Perfect. So Lattice is a fantastic tool. We use it for cascading goals throughout our organization. We use it for performance reviews, but we also use it for weekly check-ins with our team members where people can go in there and kind of log, okay, here's the status on these goals and, you know, it, and provide notes and context to their manager. But they also have this wonderful feature called the sentiment score. And it's basically the one to five scale, kind of like you would see at a hospital where there's smiley faces, right? Oh, yeah. And um, anybody that's had a kid and been to a hospital and taken their kid. <laughs> What's your pain level? Yeah, right, exactly. And and so, you know, but you can, you can have your employees do this on a regular basis. And so, you know, our CEO and I, Every week we review sentiment scores to see, you know, are we turning up? Are we turning down? Are there areas of, you know, the company that we need to focus on? Are there, you know, are people maybe just having a bad week or are they having, is it a bad trend, right? So if, mm-hmm. if someone's registering in as a pain level awful or, <laughs> hey, I've had a, a, a level one week which is not a good score for, you know, two or three weeks in a row that, that might cause us some concern. And we might, you know, want to make sure that the manager is having a discussion. Are you okay? Is there anything we can help you with? You know, and if it's, 
if it's personal, then we, we don't just like cut them off. We say, what can we do to help you? Do you need more flexibility from us? Like, are we contributing to your stress? You know, and it doesn't mean that you, you set aside their goals. It just means that maybe how they accomplish their goals might need to shift to allow for, you know, accommodating that, that single mom or that single dad or, a dual working household that is struggling with the virtual school learning for their kids or, you know, for toddlers and babies that don't have that opportunity either to sit in front of a screen because that's (laughs) challenging to not, not have something for them to keep them occupied. And so that regular check-in, you know, we get, we get two things out of that one. We understand how we're doing on our goals and we're, how we're progressing so that we're not waiting a whole month to see, do we need to adjust what we're doing or how we're doing it in our strategy? And two, we get to check in on the emotional health and well-being of our, of our employees. And I think that's important. And I, some of the feedback that I'm the most proud of during, you know, this COVID year is that our employees feel heard they feel respected, they feel loved, they feel appreciated. And that means so much to us because as leaders, we're not just responsible for the business goals and business leadership, right? We're also responsible for people leadership and in human leadership and being there for their, their emotional health as well. So, um, I think having those check-in points has been really, really good for us. That's, I, I mean, coming at it from the other angle of an individual contributor, um, and someone who has personally received, you know, the flexibility and, and the empathy, you know, from, from my manager and from the company at a, at a higher level, I just can't say enough good things about what that has done for me, my quality of life, and then in turn, my attitude towards the company and my willingness to show up and, and, and contribute, um, be, because of that exchange, um, is just hugely meaningful to me. So, I mean, I know this isn't about a com- necessarily about a conversation, a personal conversation between the two of us, but f- from that perspective, just, you know, thank you. Like that, that's true. That is how it's received and it really is working. That's fantastic. You know, I'm um, sometimes even as leaders, we need validation to know that we're doing the right things and that our intention is, is having the, our, you know, the desired result and effect. And so it's, it's wonderful to hear. Thank you. Cool. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. I, I think we have enough uh, enough time for maybe one more question, and, and I want to set it up a little bit. Uh, I think, you know, that looking back at the financial crisis of two thousand eight, there was a little bit of like, oh, how do we, you know, how do we prevent this sort of thing from happening again? Which is a good instinct. It's true. Like, how do we look at our mistakes and and try to prevent the same mistake from happening again? But I also think there's there's like a bigger principle that can get missed in that. And, and I'm worried that it would happen now where what, what people might want to do is say, well, you know, we'll be prepared for the next pandemic. Well, but man, you can't predict these sort of things. I mean, there's so much in life that's unpredictable. I'm curious. I'd love to hear you talk about as a chief operations officer, what are some of the things that you do or encourage your team to do to prepare for the unexpected? Oh, that's, that's such a tough one. I love that you saved the hardest one for last. (laughs) (laughs) To prepare for the unexpected, I think is just always having an element of readiness 
And so, you know, I always say that we need to be prepared, right? I was in the girl in Girl Scouts as, as a kid, and you know, oh, nice. always be prepared, always be ready. And you know, whether it's having, like I said earlier on, like your disaster recovery plan or your business continuity plan, those only get you so far. It only gets you to a foundation. And beyond that, you have to be ready. You have to be adaptable and you have to really understand that sometimes things are just going to come out of nowhere and blindside you in the middle of the night, in the middle of a week. (laughs) And we're in the middle of February and March (laughs) of 2020. And, you know, and so to just kind of embrace that and to let, let your preconceived notions about what you wanted the year to be, what you wanted the week to be, to let it go and recognize that, you know, how you get to the desired result, it's kind of like a math equation. You, you can solve, despite what your math teacher might have taught you, <laughs> you get to the answer several different ways. And it's okay to not get there the way that you planned. And sometimes I think we just attach ourselves so much to the how and our own expectations of what we wanted things to to do and to be and to how they were going to go that, you know, for my leadership team, I'm just incredibly proud of how adapted, adaptable they were to the situation, how they were, you know, were open to hearing feedback from, from myself, from the people that reported to them as well. And to just be very, um, very flexible in understanding that, you know, business still has to get done. We, I'm not advocating for, you know, for us to not be accountable to those results, but to do it with that compassion, that kindness, that humanity. And I think, as you said, you know, people will really appreciate that and respond in kind. And if we can look at these moments as in these relationships as mutually beneficial instead of one-sided, I think that, you know, you, you can assemble a team that will work hard for you as long as you're working hard for them. And, you know, and that's truly what I think will get companies that will get our community financial institutions through this is just that the community that we even create inside of our own businesses, inside of our institutions, taking care of each other, helping each other, loving each other through this. Wow. Thank you. That was awesome. I, I know you felt like that was a hard question, but I think you sailed right through that one. So, uh, Vanessa Vanamy, thank you so much for your time. I, this has been a, a wonderful conversation. I'm looking forward to sharing it with our audience. I think they're going to get a ton of value out of it. And uh, hopefully we can do it again soon because uh, there's, there's a lot more that I would love to ask you. So, Thank you, Zach. It's been a wonderful host. At the beginning of the show, I talked about single-purpose utensils like avocado slicers. And while you may be one of the people who regularly uses and loves such a tool, I hope you can see the bigger point here. The pandemic has created a lot of pain, and we are all trying to alleviate that pain as best we can. But there's an opportunity to make your organization more resilient, more flexible, and dare I say, more profitable. If you stick with short-term fixes, you're likely to see short-term gains, whereas if you look for highly flexible, multi-purpose solutions, you'll see improvement in ways you never could have expected. So, as you evaluate changes to your operational strategy, I encourage you to experiment with thinking of tools in two categories. Knives versus avocado slicers. Versatility versus the quick fix. 
Thanks again for listening to Thinking Outside the Vault, a podcast produced and distributed by Kasasa. Our theme song was written by Victoria Kerr, who also serves as our co-producer. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to our podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher, and leaving a review. This helps other listeners to discover us. You can also send your comments and feedback to social at casasa.com.